Say it. Say it. The Boogie Monster with Kyle Kinane and Dave Stone. Mean it. Say it again. The Boogie Monster with Kyle Kinane and Dave Stone. Well, not sexy, like real. The Boogie Monster with Kyle Kinane and Dave Stone. Nailed it. Oh boy. What's going on, buddy? Hi, Dave. <laughs> hey, Kyle. <laughs> Never started with just a hi, Dave, I don't think. <laughs> Hello. Hey, hey, how are you? <laughs> what are you doing, man? Um, no, I just nothing. It's just, it's great that, you know, nothing bad's happened in the world in the last yeah. week. It's just so cool. Everything's that nothing, fine. Everything's fine and nothing bad's happened. So it's what, what great news. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Well, of course, that's not the truth, but I have mm-hmm. ignored a lot of it. I've been, oh, yeah? I, I think, I don't know, man, I was getting a little, uh, let's say, outrage fatigue. Yeah, and, you know, that happens. You're just like, all right, well, it, me, me just sitting here getting mad and not doing anything isn't helping. So maybe taking yeah. a few steps back and strategizing where and how uh, the help would be best placed is a mm-hmm. a better move. But uh yeah, we we uh we came up to uh, we're in Portland, Oregon right now. Okay. And uh you know, not in the city of Portland. Portland's on pretty big lockdown. Well, I don't I don't know, you know, I just saw there's some protests. I'm like I <clears throat> I'm glad they're happening. I don't I'm not going to read more about it. Mhm. Which is probably yeah, Portland's problem. always been in this. Portland's always been real politically active with the uh, protest type of stuff. Yeah, they get in it. We're yeah, we're just outside of Portland actually, so kind of just mm-hmm. chilling out and not enjoying not being in a city. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. Before we get into everything, I was look. I was trying to think about uh, not not to be insensitive to the issues of the world. But other issues of the world, which are uh, the inevitable COVID spikes after these protests. Yep. And uh, the further postponement of more work and Mm -hmm. wondering what venues will still exist when uh, we can go back to work. Mm -hmm. So that was on my mind a little bit. I started to look at a... Different living options. So I was looking. I heard Dave. I heard you lived in a van. Is that true? I did. Yeah, yeah. The rumors are true. <laughs> Is that the first Former... two and a half years of our podcast? Is that part still relevant? <laughs> Former van dweller. Um, all totaled uh, four years in the van. Uh, two and a half years straight. Uh, three different stints. Two and a half years. Uh, then about another six months, and then uh, on a third stint, uh, about another year. So, well, what I've realized now, Dave, is I don't believe you because I, uh-huh. as I've looked online, you you can't have lived in a van unless you had a YouTube channel. That's true. Yeah, it's not legit. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was looking at like how you know how touring's going to change in the future, and I'm like, all right, maybe start looking at my own like you know. Part of it because, like, you know, I, I never tour. I, like, I've done, like, month and weeks and stuff in, in <clears throat> trucks or, like, you know, stuff like that. More camping, not mm-hmm. as not living, but thinking, like, oh, going into hotels, different hotels every time and different, like, thinking about that with the COVID in the future and also mm-hmm. because 
traveling in a van is cool. But uh, man, these YouTube people, I'm like, I don't, did they want to do this or did they just want YouTube money? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, some people seem to be doing the van life just for the hashtag and for the, and for the gram. Yeah, um, I feel like they just spend most, they're either, they're either hiking and looking like attractive people or they're editing mm-hmm. videos. Yeah, to make sure that the van life looks like this room, and then I and then I saw one video of some gal who did it. She's like, "Here's how it really is. It all sucks. You start doing stuff just because you know you have to make a video because now that's your source of income." I'm like, "Oh yeah, this is what happens when you try to capitalize on your entire lifestyle. <clears throat> like, mm-hmm. a, you got, sometimes even with being a comedian, you keep that separate from your life. Or some people do. Some people, their whole thing is." Showing up on Instagram every day and being a personality all the time. It's like, nah, I'll just do the jokes and then do the show. Yeah. And then that's like, I like that there's privacy. I mean, then then we we do this, this is fun and other things, but to, to make, to realize you got to like put your whole life on display for, for income. And then when you are freaked out by that, where does your income from? What a, what a horrifying uh, existence you've made for yourself. Yeah, that's got to be exhausting to profit off your entire mm-hmm. lifestyle. Yeah, your whole existence when, is to make money off your yeah off your lifestyle. Like what? So this gal with that way, she was this video was pretty eye opening. <clears throat> so yeah, they don't show you how it's you know that you get people with their. <clears throat> $80,000 custom sprinter vans that are all decked out in twee little live, laugh, luff sayings. And, you know, <laughs> and it's all whimsical. It's like, no, if you're doing true van, like not that she said true van life, but no, some people are doing it because they can't afford a home or, or an apartment or this or that. They're not in that kind mm-hmm. of van. They're in this and they're freezing, trying to make food in the morning and they're trying to find a place to take a shit. Like she was very uh, adamant. Like, and then, yeah, people are just doing this to make a channel and then you don't want to do that channel. You just want to live. Like you're not having the experience. You're not enjoying nature to enjoy it. You're enjoying it because, like, oh, I got to get a picture of it. I got to get a video of it. And I've always yeah. that's been my problem the whole time. It's like, even especially with like comedians going like and making fun of everything right away, like always being on. It's like, no, have the experience, and then process that into comedy later. You know? Yeah. Anyway, I was gonna. Hit you up about some advice on that if uh, if it's a worthwhile. You thing. really considering getting a van? Yeah, but see, I wouldn't do. I'm I'm not trying to make a channel. Yeah, I'm trying to think about in terms of touring. Hmm. What are you looking at? I'd be one of those assholes with the real nice Sprinter van. Yeah, the Sprinter van is the way I would go if I had to do it over again, or if I had the money back when I was doing it, I would. Uh, Definitely look for a Sprinter van. I I went the uh, Ford Econoline route. You were bare man. Uh, only be- yeah, only because that's all I could afford. I bought, let's see, I started living in the van in uh, early 2012, and I bought a uh, 05 um, Ford E150, the so, uh, just the first model. Seven-year-old, how, uh, how many miles? Uh, I think when I bought it, it only had about 60,000. Okay, not too bad. So uh, And it was just a bare-bones uh, white 
cargo van. Yeah. And I, uh, having very little construction knowledge, I, I've done blue collar work my whole life. I've, I've done, you know, landscaping. I've talked about that. I did plumbing, yeah. uh, things like that. But as far as like actual carpentry, I have almost no skills, but just, uh, taught myself how to convert it, uh, on a, on a real small budget. I think I probably spent 600 bucks in materials and, uh, just learned how to, um, you know, carpet the bottom and carpet the walls and, and, and build a little, I built my own little bed frame. Well, and I, uh, I you saw you, you, you were cutting a mattress in half and you, you concluded yeah. your hand in part of that process. <laughs> <laughs> I was in Atlanta when you're like bandaged up, like van's almost ready. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cut my hand real bad. Um, yeah, I had to, and so I, I told the story before, but the uh, the I wanted my bed to lie widthwise across the wheel wells for better spatial economy. Yeah, uh, if I'd have done it, if I'd have gone north south, it would have probably been a little more comfortable, but it would have taken up too much space. So I went east west, and uh, the problem with that is any mattress is about uh, I'm trying to think seventy five inches is your standard standard length of a mattress, regardless yeah. if it's uh, regardless of the width, regardless if it's a, a twin or a queen or a king, most mattresses are 75 inches long and the width of my van was 70 inches so i literally sawed five inches off i just saw literally sawed with a handsaw yeah you weren't getting uh, like memory foam or anything you just cut through <laughs> some springs yeah some coil yeah, I had to get the, yeah get the wire cutters cut the springs saw through the foam and all that and then i just uh put a heavy duty uh trash bag over the wound if you will and duct taped it up <laughs> tight and then put a put a sheet over it a fitted sheet over it and boom uh, i had my uh, 70 inch mattress that could fit widthwise across the wheel wells so did that built a little bed frame carpeted uh, built some panels for the ceiling and the floor and the mm-hmm. walls and and wrapped those in berber carpet and uh screwed those to the walls and to the ceiling and, and boom there we go real bare bones operation but yeah you didn't have this purpose you didn't have electric or water or anything like a camper because I, I see all these no. people and it's all about they build it out themselves and i was like Man, I I'm not gonna video it for a YouTube, and I would just want I wouldn't want pro like I want this because it'll be a tool. I don't want the project to prove to myself I can do it. So I will let yeah. somebody else wire mm-hmm. it up with you know what do they call it? shore power, just so mm-hmm. it's done right. But yeah. the idea of like all right, touring is like you know you live on the West Coast, you got two or three days to get to your first date. But instead of having to like, all right, I gotta make sure I can pack stack every day, every every day together for ten days or two weeks. Like, no, we can have a day off because we'll have our hotel on yep. wheels. I'll have we'll have a, a mini tour bus. So I'm toying with the idea, but I'm I'm wondering like, what do I want? What's important to me? Because I want to have the bikes in it. Mm-hmm. it. You know, one thing like get to a town and have something to pedal around town and check stuff out. So you're not having to drive to each place. You just park it and, you know. Yeah. And then when I have mountain bikes, I'm like, oh, there's going to be all these cool places to go ride mountain bikes, and I want to do that. So I want to have those in there, but I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to want to have a shower in it or some capability mm-hmm. of at least hosing off. Yeah. So I don't know, man. It's getting I – just... I, I went down the rabbit hole for that today, and I don't know if you – like, did, what was the thing you wished you had the most, like toilet or shower or yeah but either one of those yeah toilet. i had I had no water uh no electric no gas like gym uh, membership yeah, probably, you can handle it handles the showers yeah yeah the gym membership came in handy in that regard um 
So yeah, probably uh, the number one thing would be a toilet because it's you know showers. You can you can control when and where you take a shower, but you can't mm-hmm. always control your colon. So uh, that that was my thing. And like they got those little uh, nature's head, like little composting ones, which mean I mean you're basically just giving yourself a litter box. Mm-hmm. Like you just poop in it, and you got you got to dump out your own poop. I wouldn't rely on it, but it would be nice to have. Like oh yeah. No, like, emergency driving around. It's like, no, you can do this if you need to, but. Yeah. And they got that, like, little exterior hose to shower, but I'm like, imagine being, like, a cold, rainy day. Like, I'm thinking after bike rides, you're in a cold, rainy area, and then you got a hose off in the parking lot. Might be kind of gnarly. Yeah. I don't know. No, I still, uh, I have no interest in in going back to the van dwelling lifestyle, but I still, uh, dude, I daydream about getting a nice van as a touring vehicle. I mean, they're great to tour in, other than the gas mileage. Yeah, I mean, I'd still have a, I'd still have an apartment. Yeah, I was looking at diesel. Diesel is like twenty two miles a gallon. I'm like, this is better than the than the Jeep is. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I guess I'm kind of burying the lead here. Hey, remember last week I oh. told everybody you were a cop? Hey, what about the oh, van, yeah. though? The van thing was cool when you did that, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. Do we, yeah, I mean, do we, I mean, obviously we got a lot more to talk about with that, but we can uh, discuss. Yeah. Yeah, anybody see a, a, a goblin or something this week? <laughs> Man, we really aren't uh, the podcast we promised we were going to be when it started. <laughs> Well, I was uh, I recorded uh, an episode of Stonebergs earlier today, and we were talking about that. And yeah, uh, the Boogie Monster has definitely uh, pivoted a little bit. But and I may have mentioned this on this show before, but it just feels weird with everything that's going on to just talk about the Loch Ness monster right now. <laughs> like, and I know that that could be a nice break and a nice palate cleanser. Um, but yeah, it just feels weird to to talk about our normal boogie stuff right now, and and I definitely want to, and and sooner than later, transition back into our original format. But you know, I know some people are have, might be disappointed that you know our format's changed. But dude, well, look what's going on in the world. It's hard to ignore it. But it's kind of like I mean, the the what like things are crossing over. More people believe in conspiracy theories, which you'd think would be fun, but it's no, it's dangerous because like we believe them, and it's. It's we talk about them, but then which ones are, you know, to the best of my knowledge, like the thing about the Panama Papers being like, hey, we're mm-hmm. exposing how all these world leaders are laundering money and maintaining the wealth of the richest while the poor get poorer. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that's real. That's not even a, that's, yeah. that is like, I wouldn't say like full new world order because you use that terms, but like, no, that's. The rich hoarding wealth and maintaining power and oppressing people, and what do do they use to oppress people? I don't know. Maybe things like militaries and police forces. Which oh shit, what's going on now? Oh, all these you know police officers like well we're just be you know like being used to keep down you know systematic racism. Which and everybody is or I can't speak for everybody, but I think a lot of people are like. Yeah, this isn't some liberal white guilt for me to start learning about real racism and what it means and how it's, you know, it's it's rooted in who has the power and it's a class issue that has mm-hmm. a racial component to it. Like, 
I still go back to that weird meth addict when I was working at the gas station when he just came in. He's like, see, man, this is why we're never going to have health care because if the poor people could feel better, that's when the revolution happens because they're going to be like, oh, now I feel good. Fuck these people. Let's let's get them. And, like, and then he just walked mm-hmm. out into the night all tweaking out. <laughs> but I'm like, that was, yes. Oh, yeah, yes, you're right. That's why. Then You don't want poor people to be able to be strong and healthy. They'll fucking storm the gates of every mansion you got. So it is kind of tying into it, this what's going on now. Yeah. In a bit of a roundabout way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, and I don't have all the facts uh, enough to even converse on it, but the stuff that we've seen in the last few weeks with all these protests, you know, oh, there's a pallet of bricks that just showed up on the corner that wasn't there yesterday. Yeah. Who put them there? And, oh, look, it's uh, a, uh, what do they call it? A agent provocateur. Uh, undercover cop is smashing windows and creating havoc. And, yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, it's happening right in front of our eyes. Well, the videos of now, the police just, like, knifing tires on parked cars. I'm like, well, yeah. I, I do need to know some that? context. Mm-hmm. I would like to know some context about that, but... I mean, every day, it's something new. Every day, there's a new video of police brutality, either something that happened in the past that's just now surfacing, or things that are happening in real time, just like what happened this weekend in Atlanta. I don't know if you heard about that. Another Um, unarmed black man shot, um, Rashard Brooks, and of course... What I was talking about, the analogy I made with the George Floyd thing, is there was, in my opinion, and most reasonable people's opinion, absolutely zero gray area in that yeah. case. There's definitely a gray area uh, in the Richard Brooks case that happened in Atlanta. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the vi- There's multiple videos of it. Um, guy was asleep in a Wendy's parking lot. Cops show up. I guess they talked to him for like 15, 20 minutes trying to figure out if he's uh, intoxicated. I don't know if he uh, refused a field sobriety test or whatever. One thing leads to another. They try to arrest him. There's a scrap, uh, two-on-one. Dude grabs one of the cops' tasers and starts running, and they, they give chase. And while he's running, yes, he turns around. It looks like he turns around and, and tries to shoot the taser back at the cop, and they shoot him with their real gun and kill him. That's a gray area. Uh, me personally, as a former cop, uh, I know it sounds, that's where, to, from my perspective, from my experience, that's a classic case of maybe the cop's ego getting in the way. Uh, and of course, the cop's attorneys can articulate that, well, had he shot the cop with a taser, he could have then doubled back and grabbed his gun and killed the cop. I get that, although there was two on one, yeah. you know, the cop had a, a partner. But me personally, if that were to happen, uh, you know, your instinct is to give chase. But then if you see that he's got your taser or your buddy's taser and then you feel like you're in danger, then I'm, I'm terminating that chase. I'm backing off. Hey, you run off into the woods. Do whatever you got. Guess what? We've got your car and we've got your license plate. We've got your driver's license. We know who you are. They, they detained him for 15 or 20 minutes. In that case, you just you go issue a warrant. You take out a warrant on the guy, and the next interaction he ever has with the cop, he's going to get arrested for fleeing or DUI or whatever the original charges were, but to, um, ah, there, to just there, pull out your thought, real gun. Is there a thought there like, well, now he has one weapon and we have to go... <clears throat> And I done just I, man. I, this one's this one's cloudy, and I don't I don't have. Uh, I can't say I have a strong opinion on this one because yeah. I would think, like, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, I could tase the cop, then get the gun. Like, 
Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what the you fought the cops and got one of their weapons. It's not as cut and dry as the George Foreman. Yeah, yeah, of course it's not. That's what I'm saying. And I'm you know I'm not leaning one way or the other. I mean, well, if I'm leaning one way, like I said, I would have not chased the guy, let him have my taser, run off into the woods, and I'll take a warrant out for you, and eventually we'll get you. but my point is, I don't know, I'm not up to date with what the laws are now, but when I was policing, there was, um, the only time that you could shoot, use deadly force on somebody who's running away is, uh, they called it a, if they were committing a forcible felony, meaning if that guy had a shotgun and he's running away from the cop, but he's already killed somebody or threatened somebody. He's got a shotgun, he's got a gun, whatever. And he's running into a preschool or an elementary school. Then you can, that's the, at least that's how I was trained. The only time you can use deadly force when someone who's running away from you Mm -hmm. is if you can articulate that they were running towards another potential dangerous situation. But isn't that the thought of they're getting away from you? That could just be anything. <laughs> you think they could be off to cause any kind of harm because they got away well, you from have, you? Well, but you, you yeah, but you, you can't, the only way you can justify it or articulate it is if, you know, you know that they have a weapon and you know that they have intent to doing harm to someone else that they're running towards, even though they're running away from you. My point mm. is, this guy didn't have, to my knowledge, they didn't find any actual firearms on him. I mean, granted, he he fought with them and took their taser, but I don't know, man. It's if you're going to shoot somebody, if you're going to use deadly force on someone who's running away from you, man, you got to really articulate why that's justified. And I don't know that this guy just running away because he has their taser gun. Granted, he did turn around and pointed at him. And the, well, that's the whole problem with all of this. That's the whole problem with all this. And this is something I didn't, this is a point I didn't make last week. But, and this isn't justifying any, any one side or the other. But in the moment, these cops have a split second, a split second to make a life and death decision. And then we have weeks and months and years to sit around and analyze and second guess. Yeah. So, and again, not justifying these cops or any cops that use deadly force unjustly, but it's, you have to remember that they're making split second life and death decisions that we have months to sit around and, and put under the microscope. And that's why it's a tough fucking gig. Well, I was reading about, uh, some, some wormhole rabbit hole I went down, but people with concealed carry permits that got rid of it. Cause they're like, it made, it changed every situation they went into. Yep. yep. Being like, well, if something happens, I have this. Why will I use it? The right thing. They just, it just put a, a lens on everything they were doing. They're like, it gave me too much anxiety mm-hmm. to be out in the world knowing I had that with me if you know if something had to happen. <clears throat> so, then you know, like you said, every day you every day you clocked in, it was that that was the attitude of like, and it's it, you know, and it's it's not like if something it's like something's going to go down. You're a police officer. Something's going to happen. Yeah, something will go down. You're yeah. You have like to I be s- the janitor for everybody's problem out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is as we were it, saying, that's the argument about the defund the police. It's like it's not that there's no police. It just takes some of that budget and put it into the social programs that so you don't have to be called for every single thing. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah, going back to this Atlanta case, <laughs> if I was one of those officers or, or the officer that shot and killed the guy. Man, you've got to be thinking about what's going on in the world. 
And yeah, I know he stole someone's taser, but he ran away from you with everything that's going on, you know, weeks after the George Floyd thing. If that were me, hey, have fun with that taser, buddy. Guess what? We're taking out a warrant tonight. We got your license. We know who you are. Like, I just, I would not have given chase on that guy. If it meant, if I knew that my only recourse in, in that officer's mind was to shoot him in the back. Like, ugh, that's just, that's a tough uh, one. Yeah, I mean, if you point something at a cop, that's a weapon, though. If that's, I, I, well, I did not read these police reports. I don't know the way, like I said, I was like, oh, everything's a mess. Okay. Yeah. Gonna go sit no, in the that's woods. a tough one. And, you know, cops deal with that shit every night. And, you know, some of them make poor decisions. Uh, mm. <laughs> Well, <laughs> poor decisions. That's, that could be a good segue. Uh, if yeah, hey man. <laughs> there's other things you want to get to. I I will say this. I, I'm laughing about this whole, you know, people getting angry about the Confederate flag and the statues coming down. Like, well, you can't just erase history. Like that, that's Fuck the. That. Du- I try to listen. You know, I'll dabble in like whatever conspiracy podcasts are out there. Just like, all right, see what's going on. But I listen to one. I try to listen to one today. It's Michael Deacon program. And what a fucking turd. Cause it was him. And he had like a guy who was a temporary singer for the misfits on it. So, you know, some, hmm. you know, New Jersey hardheaded putts, but like just, like full right wing conspiracy, like and these people want to tear down the state. They're erasing history. It's like no, you fucking retard. It's still in the books. Mm-hmm. You could read the books. I see why you're angry that the statue's going away because you don't want to read the books. But they're like, this is the same as book burning. No, it's not. You can't change the history. It happened. It's written down. You just don't have to celebrate the horrible parts of it. Yeah. You don't get to, maybe we're just getting rid of the trophies because you fucking lost. That's all it is. These people, they're erasing history. It's in books, you morons. Well, the rebel flag, if your symbol of heritage doubles as someone else symbol of hatred and oppression and pain, find a new fucking symbol to celebrate your hatred. Yeah, is that all you got down there? Is that the only thing in the South is the flag? That's the only thing you could say to be like, hey, man, I'm from down here. Cool. Somebody design a new flag. Well, and the irony, too, of a lot of the people that uh, have a problem with Colin Kaepernick taking a knee during the national anthem uh, are proudly uh, waving the Confederate flag. What's more anti-American than a flag <laughs> that, that represents yeah. a, a, a group that went to, that waged war against America? We, yeah, we tried and lost. Uh, I just, I don't it's, buy into that fucking rebel flag. I, I could see the touchiness of it. Because nobody... There, it, you know, it's just regional pride for these. But that's but, the defense, right? That's the defense is that it's just regional pride. We're from here. Well, this is the flag it, that represents it. It didn't represent the war as much as like, oh, it's this group of states in this kind of culture that goes with the South. Well, guess what? Part of that culture was this horrible thing. Yep. And the people that were, you know, the victims of that and the relatives of those victims, like, hey, man, maybe you don't need to wave the flag about, because it kind of sucked for a lot of us. Yeah. 
Yeah, it causes a lot of bad memories for a lot of folks. And I don't know if this is an accurate or fair analogy, but I'm sure there are certain German people that are proud of their heritage and ashamed of of what the Germans did, you know, in the early uh, 20th century. But are, are German people hanging on to their Nazi flags? Just because, oh, it's my German heritage? No. I mean, I'm, I don't know if they are or not, but if they well, are, that's still a shitty argument. Some of them are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, I, I mean, that's, it seems cut and dry to me. I could see the offense. <clears throat> like, the, like You're asking somebody that never had an association to hate with that symbol to now view it as such and get rid of it from like their whole life. It's... I. It's not an easy thing. I I understand that. It's not like, oh, cool, this thing that has been hanging up in my dad's garage, my granddad's garage, and even though I know we were never racist, and even maybe uh, you know black people were friends with him and they just saw it, but now it's like, oh yeah, remember how it kind of means this, and it's actually mm-hmm. shitty. Maybe we gotta we gotta move forward. It's not easy. Growth is not comfortable. Uh, well, yeah, I'm trying re- to think. I'm trying to think of an example of something that like I you know, maybe associated with, you know, nothing mm-hmm. terrible, but then as you grow up, you're like, oh yeah, maybe that's like not good. I'm trying to think of like what kind of racist thing, which I'm sure there's plenty of it. Well, not even the historical context, but even in present day, the rebel flag has been somewhat co-opted by either, you know, the clan, neo-Nazis, whoever, like <laughs> I mean, shit birds what, in the North flying it. So like what, 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 what does that mean like, to you? As soon as the Klan or the neo-Nazis, as soon as they adopt it, then okay, maybe maybe I'll celebrate my heritage with some other type of symbol. Well, that's where I get mad because there's like that Boogaloo movement or something, which is supposed mm-hmm. to be some yeah, new all right. And like part of the thing uh-huh. is Hawaiian shirts. Like, fuck you guys. Mm-hmm. You do not get to ruin Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> I you thought about fucking, you when I when I first heard about that. Because <laughs> your affinity for Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> yeah. No, fuck you guys. Those fucking dorks. Fuck uh, you guys. Fuck you losers and your fucking dumb asses. Oh boy. I got to stop my I'm, I'm I'm I told you I'm like laying in bed with the mic stand over me but the way I'm laying it's mm-hmm. pushing the mattress out on the thing. I got to push it up. <laughs> Hold on. You keep talking, Dave. I just kind of move. Yeah, I'm going to take a sip of my beverage here. Shout out to, I forgot who gave me this recipe when I was talking about white Russians uh, either last week or the week before, um, but I replaced the vodka with bourbon, so I've got uh, I got a little half and half, a little Kahlua, a little bourbon, but then I throw in a shot of Coca-Cola, and it makes it taste like a damn chocolate soda, the old school fountain soda. Bourbon? You're drinking bourbon and cream? Yeah, man. Well, okay, it's the concept of the, of the white Russian, which is what? Uh, vodka, Kahlua, and cream? But I, I so it's that. But I I substituted the vodka with bourbon, and that's delicious. But then someone told me they sent me a recipe. I forgot the name of this drink, but they were like, "Hey, take it one step further and throw a little splash of Coca Cola in there." And oh boy, it's a good time. All right, I'm I'm, I'm back. I, that really sounds. Feelings. I mean, it sounds good, but it also sounds like. Like when an alcoholic's body is shutting down, so they have to just aug- <laughs> they just have to augment the alcohol. 
in order to consume it. <laughs> then I got to put the cream in there for the ulcer, and then I need the I need the soda pop for the gastro. And if you, if you drink the mouthwash real fast, it doesn't taste that bad. Oh Jesus! <laughs> that's part of a. Uh, that's, uh, that's part of the, you know, our buddy Sam Talent's book that's out, Running the Light, about the mm-hmm. old booze bag road comic uh, being in a in a dry town on a Sunday, mm-hmm. putting down some mouthwash just to get rid of the shakes. <clears throat> oh, oh, Jesus. <laughs> speaking, speaking, speaking of, of which. I'm drinking some, uh, I'm drinking this, uh, bunch of Portland, Portland beers up here, man. Not even the craft beers, but just like good old session. Oh, yeah. It's a Mexican style. Session beer and that habanero, mango habanero cider. Okay, that was good spicy kind of cider. But uh, I'm I'm sorry, Dave. I stepped on you. Wanted to talk about making mistakes. Oh, and how that happens oh. sometimes. Man, I'll a, be as right. a police officer. <laughs> is that something? Get, is there something you wanted to bring up? Oh, fuck it. Let's get into it, man. Oh, fuck, fuck it, man. This. Let's party. Honestly, uh, dude, I've been dreading this. I uh, This is not something I wanted to talk about. Um, but I feel obligated if I'm going to give... I don't need to just give part of the story. I should give the whole story. And uh, last week was big enough for me. Yeah. And, and by the way, I I want zero... I'm not... I don't want sympathy. This isn't woe is me. Um but no, it's not an, it just what you heard last week is not an easy thing for me to talk about. Uh, just because, and I explained it last week, uh, all this going on in the world, uh, cops have never had a worse reputation, and there's never been a worse stigma to being either a cop or a former cop than there is now. Uh, but because of that, I felt obligated to finally uh, open up about the little secret that I've been keeping on this podcast and uh, talk about being a former cop and... Uh, Oh boy, let's go ahead and finish the story, <laughs> shall we? Well, and for and like we'll say, you're not. It's not defense or criticism either. It's just you're just telling your story. So it's yeah, not. It's there's no right just, or wrong. It's just what it's mm-hmm. what happened. So this is well, your experience, man. I I know. I'm I'm telling you. I don't think you should feel bad about it i think i think you being honest about your experience is actually helping people maybe understand a larger scope than previous so i think i think what you're doing is good if that my dumb encouragement helps for anything (laughs) well all right let's get into it and again this is not something i ever wanted to talk about and uh definitely not proud of it but here's the fucking story i was a cop for just over four years and uh in all honesty, I sleep well at night knowing that I was a good cop, and I tried my best to treat people fairly, um, was never involved in any police brutality um, that I'm aware of. I mean, I definitely got my hands dirty uh, pretty much every week uh, in terms of, I mean, violence is just unavoidable when you're a cop in a uh, populated area. Um, so yeah, I, I, boy, (laughs) it's it's tough to talk about, but all right. I, I, it was a tough gig. I never wanted to to do it. Like I said last week, it was just a means to an end. It was a job. 
Um, but I felt like I was a good cop in the sense that I did my job well. Like I was uh, with anything I've ever tried to do. If you're going to do it, try to do it to the best of your ability. So I definitely took it seriously in in that uh, if you don't take it seriously, this is one of those jobs uh, that if you're not taking it seriously and you got your head up your ass, you might wind up dead or somebody else might wind up dead because of your negligence. So I took it seriously in that regard and uh, I was good at it in that regard and I I felt like I was an honest cop and a fair cop. Like I said, probably had a thousand opportunities, literally at least a thousand opportunities to make uh, a marijuana related arrest, made zero because of my fiance at the time. I was like, you know, how can I sleep at night or look myself in the mirror if I'm out here locking people up on chicken shit weed charges when I go home and watch my fiance light up a dupe. So, you know, that was a decision I made and it almost got me in trouble. Like there were several times where, um, you know, my supervisors, my sergeants or lieutenants are like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, why is this guy not under arrest? And I'm like, eh, cut him a break. <laughs> you know, yeah. no way is my, no, no way am I about to get married to a huge pothead and I don't want to be a fucking hypocrite. Uh, you know, I, I kept that secret, but yeah, you're allowing me some discretion. I'm going to use my discretion in this regard. And, um, yeah, I didn't like the job, but I tried to do it well. And I was, uh, honest and fair. And I, I, I don't think I did everything, anything that I was ashamed of. <sighs> Except for what I'm about to tell you now. <laughs> there was a lot, uh, unfortunately, there was a lot of corruption uh, floating around uh, in my department. Uh, we dealt with a lot of minorities, uh, and in particular, Latinos. And there was a lot of um, corruption floating around in terms of, oh man, this is, fuck, I don't want to talk about this. I mean, don't I, feel uh, pressure to. Okay, let me. This is important. I was towards the end of my run. I and this is what led to what I'm about to reveal. I was incredibly disgruntled. Um, I had spoken up a couple of different times uh, against behavior that I witnessed uh, involving fellow officers. Uh, a couple times it was uh, theft. A couple times it was police brutality, where I thought people had uh, stepped way over the line. And a couple of times I, I spoke up and it bit me in the ass, uh, in terms of, yeah, I, I can't remember all the details, but like, you know, just speaking up and saying, Hey, Sarge, uh, you know, I don't want to be a rat, but, uh, my, but my, my, my partner over here crossed a line. And I think in, in two or three, I think this happened two or three times where I spoke up. Um, I feel like every time it was nothing that I necessarily initiated, meaning I was asked, I was pulled aside and said, Hey stone, what'd you witness Thursday night with yeah. officer so-and-so? And I'm like, well, all right, since you're asking, I'm going to tell you. And, uh, even if it was against a fellow officer. Yeah. Yeah. Because like I said last week, you know, it's uh, that camaraderie between cops. That's a real thing. And, but my obligation is to make sure that my fellow officers are safe. It's, I'm not necessarily obligated to help them do something shitty or cover up something shitty they did. Uh, so I spoke out a couple times. One time, uh, it was about some missing money. Uh, another time it was about a beat down guy went way overboard, beat the shit out of a dude where he didn't need to. And uh, one time it bit me in the, <laughs> I got labeled like, uh, 
I, I got transferred because I spoke up against a superior uh, officer. A sergeant had done something wrong. I was asked about it. I told the truth, and then I got. Because, <laughs> then it was deemed that me and this sergeant can't work the same shift anymore. And because he outranked me, guess what, Stone? You're moving to a different uh, shift. Which that's kind of a big deal in police work. You get accustomed to working a particular schedule and a particular shift. Uh, for example, I, I used to work what's called afternoon watch or second watch, which would be like uh, 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. And that's a that's a pretty good schedule for a cop because you still you get to sleep late and you still get to get home at a reasonable hour and hang out with your family, whatever. So that was a pretty sweet gig. And I worked that for a couple years. And then I spoke up against my sergeant who beat the fucking shit out of a dude that he shouldn't have. And next thing I know, now I'm on morning watch because Stone's an agitator. And uh, Mm. so a couple of those things happened. Uh, There was a couple other things where uh, I wrecked a car when I was involved in a police chase and uh, I got suspended uh, because I wrecked a car, even though the guy was chasing slammed into me and uh, you have to go to these citizen review boards and you got people from the fucking water department and the fucking library. Uh, There's these, these uh, civilian review boards that are made up of uh, uh, employees of, all walks of county government. Okay. So you, you go into these these review boards and you got the librarian and the fucking county mortician <laughs> and you know a secretary from the fire department judging your police actions. Yeah. Judging stuff that they have zero training and zero experience in. So I felt like I got fucked over a couple times. But isn't that kind of what's uh, happening with the police now with everybody yeah. seeing select videos and then mm-hmm making a yeah. wide judgment on all police force. Exactly. Exactly. And then I, and, I am uh, going devil's advocate here. I'm sorry, man. I'm yeah. going to go on that. Long one. story short, I don't, I don't know how to get into this, but I, I fucked up, man. Yeah. Um, we dealt with a lot of Latinos and I, I love Latinos. Uh, I got no problem with them and I treated, treated everybody fairly. I gave everybody the benefit of the doubt, but, and this isn't, uh, I don't want this to come off as, as racist or anything, but, uh, a lot of the Latinos that were coming over here uh, were new to America, and they were very accustomed to uh, corruption from police in their homeland, whether it be Mexico or Guatemala or Honduras. And there was a habit, uh, apparently, in some of uh, those areas of bribing cops and paying for tickets uh, yeah. on site. <laughs> yeah, you travel with cash in Mexico. Yeah, and I had seen that done before. I, I'd seen, I, I had been offered bribes, not necessarily bribes, but like, hey, can I pay for it here? And, yeah. you know, being like, well, no, that's not how this works, idiot. You, you know, here's your ticket. You call, it's the same, same spiel. Here's your ticket. You circle the phone number on the back. Hey, wait seven mm-hmm. business days. Call this number. They'll tell you how much your ticket is. They'll tell you where to mail it. If you got a court date, they'll tell you when that is, blah, blah, blah. It's out of my hands now. Well, I was incredibly disgruntled. I felt like I got fucked over about three times uh, and just hated the gig. Just was, and was actively, uh, spent the last year of my police career in the hiring process for the Cobb County Fire Department. I spent the last year trying to transition over to the fire department because I knew, mm-hmm. I knew early on that this just wasn't the gig for me. Um, it just affects your quality of life. You just see so much horrible shit. I mean, no hyperbole. I've, I've seen 75 dead bodies. I've carried suicide victims. I've lifted suicide victims out of their noose and carried them down uh, attic staircases. I've, I've put a decapitated head in a fucking trash bag. 
Um, I've given CPR to a three-year-old boy who fucking died right in front of me. Uh, and none of this I'm saying to elicit sympathy for my actions, but it's, it was a horrible gig, and I just wasn't cut out for it. And I was actively looking to stop doing the gig. I was trying to get hired on at the fire department, and I was so fucking pissed and so disgruntled. And one night, I make a traffic stop, harmless enough. The guy's tag was expired or something. This is a Latino fella. And uh, doing my spiel, here's your ticket, here's your phone number, call this number. And he's like, well, how much is it going to cost? And he spoke very very little English. And I, I spoke a little Spanish back then. We were all trained in mm-hmm. rudimentary Spanish in terms of, you know, basic stuff, manos atras, tienes drugas, tienes armas, you know, no samueva, <laughs> you know, stuff you need yeah. to communicate as a police officer. This guy kept asking me how much it's going to cost. And, and most cops don't really know. Like, you know, that shit, the, the, the fines and the fees, they all change. You just call the courthouse, call this number, they'll tell you. I don't know how much it costs, but you kind of had a general idea. And this guy was like, how much it costs, how much it costs? I was like, I don't know, it's like 100 bucks. And he whipped out two $50 bills. And he's like, I, I want to pay here. And I'm not going to do his accent, but it was very broken English. Like, I pay here. I pay you. I pay you. I was like, no, no, man, that's not how this works. Mm-hmm. Call this number. You fuck, they'll, they'll tell you where to send your payment, blah, blah. I pay you. Why why no pay you? I'm sorry. I'm not trying, <laughs> not trying no, to do it. It's a derogatory accent. We know where you're yeah, coming from. Very, yeah. Very broken English. Uh, I want to pay you now. I'll pay you now. And this is... Uh, Fresh off of me coming off a of suspension, fresh off of me coming, uh, getting transferred to another shift, uh, probably my lowest point of being disgruntled, of just like... The suspension I was, was so, wrecking the car? I, uh, yeah, yeah. Got suspended without pay for two weeks for wrecking a car, uh, even though uh, in a civilian situation, we would have ticketed and arrested. Well, the other guy did get ticketed and arrested, but somehow I'm at fault. Yeah. There's a lot of shit like that. Um, and... Couldn't have been any more disgruntled. I pay you. I pay you now. No, man. Call this number. Going round and round for like five minutes with this fucking dude. He's got two crisp $50 bills. And finally, I said, you know what? Fuck it. You can pay me here. And I took one of the $50 bills out of his hand. And I said, sure, you can pay here. And it wasn't a fuck you to this guy. It wasn't me trying to fuck over this guy. It was a big fuck you middle finger to the Cobb County Police Department. It was an act of rebellion. It was yeah. like, hey, fuck you guys. And, and of course I knew it was wrong. But I was like, you know what? And I didn't need the money. I, I was making good money. You know, I, I mean, for a cop, I, I had benefits. I had side gigs. I had a free apartment. There's this thing called uh, courtesy officers. A lot of police officers will be the, uh, the impromptu security guard in their apartment complex uh, in exchange for discounted or sometimes free rent. I had a free apartment. I was making good money. Didn't need the 50 bucks. It was a fuck you to the Cobb County Police Department. And I took the guy's $50. And I don't even know what I did with it. Three months later, <laughs> this is how the story was told to me. Three months later, this guy, his brother gets a ticket, and they're talking, and I guess my, I'll call him my victim, my victim told his brother, it's like, oh, you don't, he's like, uh, you don't have to send it in, you can pay, you can pay the officer right there yeah. on the street. Smart his choice brother was not a doing little, the accent there. Yeah, and, and a little, I guess his brother was a little more savvy, a little more knowledgeable, and he's like, what are you talking about? That's not how this works. And he goes, no, I did it like three months ago. I paid the guy, I paid the cop, and the guy's like, wait a minute. And he's thinking, you know, and rightfully so, he's like, did, 
Did you just get take advantage of by a cop? What are you talking about? He's like, no, I, I didn't even have to mail it in. I just paid the cop. And his brother reports the incident, and they figure out the time and the location and the uh. physical description of the cop. And uh, yeah, man, got called in. Uh, <laughs> uh, not to bore you with these details, but like, you have your officers, you have a sergeant, you have a lieutenant, you have a commander over the precinct. The commander's the top dog in the precinct. The commander never gets on the radio. You just He's behind the scenes. You never hear the top dog of the precinct uh, on the radio, you know, mm-hmm. responding to 911 calls or anything. He's just silent. Well, one day, over the radio, 3101 to 3113, 59 at the precinct immediately. 59 means meet. And everybody's like, ooh, 3101 was the, the commander's uh, handle. Yeah. And everybody was like, what the fuck? 3113, that's Stone. What the fuck? He's calling out Stone over the radio to meet at the precinct. And this was three months later, and I knew what I had done, and I only did it once. You can believe that or not, but yeah. it, was, it was a split second of terrible judgment. So it's not something that it was even, I mean, it was in the back of my mind, but it's because it happened three months ago, three months earlier, and because it was an isolated incident, I didn't really, it didn't really pop in my mind immediately what I was in for. And then I get back to the precinct and my commander's there, my lieutenant's there, my sergeant's there, I go in their office. And then, then there's also uh, a guy from the GBI. GBI is the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, kind of a state level FBI. Yeah, I've been seeing that. They come up. With they that. Had, they did an undercover case on me. This guy had been following me around for for months, waiting to, waiting for me to do it again. And I didn't. It didn't happen again. And I got a story about that. I'll tell in a minute. But I'll wrap this part of it up. Um, yeah, on the radio, thirty one hundred one to thirty one thirteen fifty nine. Back at the precinct immediately. Oh shit. And uh, they told me, they said, hey, you know anything about, they, they, they had the guy's name. They're like, do you know, and I forgot the guy's name. Do you know whatever the guy's name is? And I go, no, it doesn't ring a bell. And they explained the incident, and they're like, is this true? And I was like, yep. Yeah. And uh, was immediately placed under arrest really? and taken to the headquarters and spent about six hours in the interrogation room. And they were convinced that I was a part of some ring of dirty cops. That had, because this had been going on. I had seen uh, this kind of stuff happen before. But they were convinced that I was part of a ring of cops that had been doing this for years. And they were going to make an example out of me. I was fired immediately, yeah. placed under arrest. But So others and, were doing uh, it. They said others. So that means... Yeah. Apparently this is... Others had been doing it, and I had seen, I hadn't seen that exact example of of a cop just taking it right there, you know, on a traffic stop. But uh, I had seen, I had seen various degrees of of theft, and uh, that what I was charged with was extortion. Um, you know, because the argument was, you know, the, the prosecutor's argument was I was putting this guy in a position of like, hey, you pay me 
a hundred bucks or mm-hmm. fifty bucks, or else I'm going to write you this ticket, or I'm going to take you to jail. And that was not the case. I never threatened. You know, it wasn't. Hey, man, give me some of your money, and we'll make this go away. No, you were bri- guy, you got bribed, is what it was. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm I'm taking full responsibility, but I'm saying I didn't just wake up that morning and go, ah, oh, I'm going to go rip off a Mexican. I'm going to find someone mm-hmm. to take advantage. Yeah. I just wrote. I was trying to write the guy a normal ticket. He kept flashing the fifty dollars. You know, and I didn't even really at first think of it like he was trying to bribe me. I thought he was sincere and like, you know, can I just pay this here? I work 50 hours a week. I don't want to go to the court case. And it just literally how your life can change in one second, just literally one second of terrible judgment. And I went, you know what? You can pay that ticket here. Fuck, not fuck you, sir, but fuck, fuck my supervisors. Fuck Fuck this job. Fuck this job. Yeah, I'll take. And I, the irony is, I didn't even take both fifties. I took one. Like I just like grabbed one of the fifties yeah, out of his I'm hand. I'm assuming this was like pre body cam or anything like that. Yeah, pre body yeah. cam. Um, yeah, we had uh, we had audio recorders, yeah. uh, but they hardly ever worked. Like uh, I think it was like whenever you're. Uh, whenever your the lights went on in your car, the the audio kicked in. Oh, okay. Um, but I knew that half of those didn't work, and I don't know what I was thinking in that moment. But there was no audio of me, you know, negotiating this fifty dollars away from this guy. Or anything. But it's like the equivalent of like when somebody's like, "Oh, I want to add like you, know, you at the grocery store. Oh, I want to add this pack of gum. I ah, just take the gum. I don't care." You know, mm-hmm. like yeah, and it. And so, you know, and honestly, people believe me or not, uh, trust me, I'm, I, I didn't want to tell this story, so uh, please understand that I'm telling the complete truth. It was a one-time thing. They were convinced that I was part of a ring of uh, dirty cops that had been doing this, and they were going to make an example out of me. I got arrested immediately, and uh, I was told that you there is no plea bargain. Because I, well, here's the other part of the story. Fast forward uh, a couple days later, um, my fucking mugshot is all over the Atlanta local news for like a week. Dirty Cobb County, dirty cop, cop arrested. My fucking mugshot. You talk about humility. Um, I mean, it's the most shameful thing I've ever experienced, and I hope that I never experience anything as shameful, but everybody I knew, you know, all my friends, all my family, old Stone's a dirty cop. Saw his mugshot on the fucking local news. Is there any kind of like resentment? Like, oh, just the excitement to vilify a police officer for this. Like for murder, yeah, you're going to get dragged. But to vilify the idea of a dirty cop as like a juicy news story in your case. Well, and I think really the... Like, tell the whole the story. Big, like, did they tell the whole story? How did they report the story? Or is it, not, it doesn't even matter at that point. Here's your picture. Here's the yeah. title. The story doesn't matter, which is never more relevant than now of just people... I saw that Twitter wants to try and limit people. Like, you won't be able to share an article unless you, like, can... I don't know how, but prove that you actually read it to mm-hmm. try and stop disinformation and things just being like, well, look at this headline, and then they just share it. Yeah. So something like that. Yeah. Like, well, what if you read the story and you're like, oh, this guy took 50 bucks because it was offered to him. Like, no, dirty cop in your face. So that's the story we're going to go with. Well, and I think one of the main angles, too, and uh, and I'm not saying that this is wrong. Like, I get it. Um, I feel like had it been a white guy that I did that to, it wouldn't have been as big a story. I mean, I, I'm sure I was still would have gotten in trouble. But I'm mm-hmm. saying uh, the, the media's angle was white cop takes advantage of Latino motorist 
Um, oh. that was that, it was that whole, because there was, uh, and it still is, you know, and, and I, I, I'm not here to talk about immigration. I, fuck it. Well, I welcome everybody. What do I care? Um, mm-hmm. but I, my point is, um, a lot of people who are here illegally, you know, specifically Latinos, they, they do get victimized by, uh, criminals and cops alike because they don't want to raise their hand and well, complain yeah, the because they're in fear worse, of getting yeah. deported. So it was that, it was that angle of, uh, extorting these Latinos because they know they're not going to complain because they don't want to risk getting deported. So that was really the angle. And I never watched any of the stories. I just, I, I saw, I'd be flipping through and I'd see, oh, there's my fucking picture again. I didn't have the stomach to sit and watch the stories when they came on the news. Mm-hmm. So I don't know exactly, you know, what the the gist of the stories were. I just know that um, every night for about, about a week and a half, uh, my, my, my fucking picture was on the Atlanta local news. Oof. And, um, oh, here's what I was saying too. They, um, when they, when they arrested me, and, and I, I hope you know like somebody's going to go digging for that now. And I've dug for it, and I can't find much. Uh, fortunately for me, this was right. This was two thousand four, um, so this was right before everything was online. And, and I've I've dug, and I'm sure if I dig deep enough, I could probably find something. But I I haven't found anything online. But my point is, uh, when they arrested me. Um, and I get it. I shamed the entire department. It's a huge police department, you know, 700 officers, huge uh, area that we patrolled. So, this, you know, this wasn't some little rinky-dink South Georgia no-name town. This was Metro Atlanta, mm-hmm. dirty cop. So I had shamed the entire department. I brought uh, horrible uh, attention to the entire department and uh, the internal affairs people and then the uh, prosecutors, they made it very clear that, uh, yeah, man, uh, there's not going to be a plea bargain. Even if you want to plead guilty for a, in exchange for a lesser sentence, uh, we're, we're not playing that game. We are making an example of you. This is going to go to trial. You are going to get convicted, and you are going to go to prison between three and five years. And uh, this process, from the time that I got arrested to the time it went to uh, till it got solved, uh, resolved rather, uh, was about six months. But for my point is, for six months, I was convinced that I am going to prison as a dirty cop. Yeah, meaning. I'm either going to get murdered or I'm going to have to murder somebody to prevent me from getting murdered. And essentially my life is fucked and over. They didn't try. And, uh, it wasn't like a now tell us what other cops like they didn't want that attention. They'd be like, no, they, they did. And because I wasn't, a, I didn't have any names to give them. And they were like, okay, fuck face. If you don't want to play ball, if you don't want to give us any other name. And I remember telling them specifically because here's, here's the point with this. Well, this is an example I, of them trying to do the right thing and mm-hmm. clean up what they believe you were a part of, which is a ring of dirty cops. So the yeah. GBI was, in this instance, trying to do the thing everybody wants right now, is which is to get the dirty cops out yeah. of the police force. So there was a... It's weird that this sucks for you, but it's also like, oh, sometimes they are trying to do the right thing, except that you got caught up in it for a stupid, like a, like a nonchalant, like a mistake error that you made in judgment. But the GBI was trying to be like, well, we are trying to catch all these bad, crooked cops, which is what you want to hear, except you're Dave, and we all love Dave. We're like, oh, no, not Dave. Yeah. 
But get those fucking guys. But Dave, come on. But the reason they wanted to make an example out of me, because they thought, not only, of course, did I shame the entire department and, I, and, and, and betray the public's trust, and I get that, but they thought I was covering up for other cops. Mm-hmm. And I remember specifically telling the internal affairs guy, um, because I was friendly. I had a bunch of... I was I was a good cop and I was I was well liked and well respected up until that moment, um, but I wasn't super tight with I didn't have any super close friends because a lot of the guy <laughs> this is a whole other thing that we can get to later but you talk about racism within a police force oh boy rampant mm-hmm. racism yeah. rampant uh, machismo I just didn't connect on a personal level with a lot of my fellow officers because I wasn't. I'm not saying they were all that meathead mindset, but a lot of them were. And to me, it was just a decent paycheck to start a family with. And for some of the others, it was, you know, this, they're the manifestation of all their ego and maybe racism or whatever. But there was a lot of fucking shitheads that I worked with racist and mean and just assholes. And my point is I didn't connect. I didn't have real tight bonds with anybody. And I remember specifically telling the detective, I said, hey, man, just grilling me. I mean, just like you see on 48 Hours, just in there with my fucking Diet Coke and my table and my chair talking to these two internal affairs detectives. You know, you're fucking lying. You're fucking full of shit. Give us some fucking names. We're going to make a fucking example. And I remember specifically telling him, I said, hey, asshole, if there was, trust me, if there, if there were names to give, I would gladly give them. Because I'm not, I don't have lifelong bonds with almost any of these guys. If I could give you a name that would, that would help my odds, Charlie, shut up. If I could give you names <laughs> that would help me, I'd be glad to do it. But I'm, I'm I can't just make up a name. Is, is even if I had beef with some of these idiots that I worked with, I'm not just gonna make you know say that Joe over there did it too when I know that he didn't. Well, I knew yeah. that some guys were doing some things, but I, I had already done that. I had already spoken up against That's that. That's what and I mean. Can you point out times. to the past where you're like I did this and I was called an agitator? Yeah. Yeah, exactly, and I did point that out. But they were just convinced that, uh, because it probably was going on with some, if not people on my shift, you know, other shifts or other precincts, I'm sure it was going on. And they they knew that too. And then they're like, there's no way you can be doing this too and not be in cahoots with some of these other officers. And I was I said, dude, if there were if there were names to give, I'd gladly fucking give them. But I but there aren't. It's just me. And they were going to make an example of me. Um, so for six months, I was convinced that I'm about to go to prison for five years. Yeah. And in that six months, I had already started. Uh, one thing I am proud of, I was unemployed for one day. I got fired on the January 4th, January 5th, I licked my wounds, and January the next day, January 6th, I went and interviewed for a limo driver gig, and I got hired that day. So I was unemployed during the lowest point in my life. I was unemployed for one day, got another gig. So that whole spring, those six months, I, I started driving limos immediately just to, to get some income going. And uh, immediately, because uh, this was also part of my plan before all this happened, I was going to get hired by the fire department, and because they worked such a cool schedule of 24 on, 48 off, I was also going to start a landscaping business. So I was like, you know, all right, I'm going to get hired as a fireman, and then I'll also start uh, simultaneously start a landscaping business. Um, 
so when I got fired and then I started driving limos, I immediately started working on and building my landscaping business. And it only took a few months. I only drove limos for a few months because uh, a few months later, I built my business up enough to where that was the only gig I needed. Uh, but my point is, I had had an assistant. This is funny. This is, uh, and he wouldn't mind me telling this. It's weird. <laughs> this is so fucking weird how the world works. Um, the, the guys I used to tour manage, uh, Stuck Mojo, mm-hmm. uh, that was before I was a cop, but I still remained friends with some of those guys. And the main guy, Rich Ward, uh, people who know metal might know Rich Ward as just inc- like iconic, I mean, not a household name per se, but an, in, in the music world, in the rock world, an iconic guitar player, just a guitar god. Mm-hmm. But uh, Rich... We had reconvened uh, during this time, and he was taking a break from touring for a while, so he, he started working for me uh, in my landscaping company. So that whole winter and spring, me and my former boss, and also like one of my former musical heroes, like before I worked for them, I was a huge fan. So now Rich Ward, this rock god, <laughs> is riding shotgun in my Ford Ranger while we go around Cherokee County cutting lawns all day. So that was weird. But during this exact same time, my attorney was telling me, you need to make preparations because you're probably going to prison for three to five years. And during this time, I uh, had an arrangement with Rich. I was like, hey, man, if this doesn't work out in my favor, um, I'd love for you to take over my business and give a cut to my then fiance. That way she could be taken care of while I'm in fucking prison. (laughs) So for six months, I thought I was going to prison as a dirty cop. And by some miracle, because all I heard was, we are, we're not doing a plea bargain. We're not giving you shit. We are going to trial. We're going to convict you. You're going to prison. By some fucking miracle, like at the last second, like a week before my final thing, uh, my final court date, my, my attorney somehow got them to agree to a plea bargain. And I pled guilty of extortion, and uh, it was two charges, extortion and violation of oath of office, and uh, pled guilty to that in exchange for five years probation. Didn't go to prison. Really? Yeah. But I I spent six months thinking I was was about to go to prison as a a dirty cop. And just, uh, and again, (laughs) again, I don't want any sympathy. This is my own fucking mistake, but it was... The most shameful, humiliating thing uh, that I've ever experienced, and I hope I never experienced anything. And I deserved it. I'm not. Yes, it was a momentary lapse of judgment. No, I wasn't some predator out there uh, looking to take advantage of people. But regardless, I fucked up, and whatever was coming my way, I was ready to take it on. And I got lucky that somehow they, even though they said they weren't, they they decided to do a plea bargain. Um, Oh man, but what was my point? Oh, <laughs> just the shame and humiliation of everyone I went to high school with. Every I was still living. Uh, I had moved back to kind of my hometown, so I was currently living in Ballground, Georgia, which is the same county I grew up in. So everywhere I went, Ballground, ball did you say Ballground, Georgia? Yeah, that's that's where I was living at the time. I had a house. And everywhere, every day, I'd be at the gas station or the lawnmower repair shop or mowing somebody's lawn, and I'd run into somebody from high school who would act real awkward. And I'm like, yeah, I know, man. I know you saw the news. <laughs> and um, 
uh, immediately, <laughs> immediately started growing the beard. That's where the beard came from. I immediately, like, like the day I was you're like fired, Wolverine or something. <laughs> <laughs> like disgraced lawman just trying to live out in the country without people <sighs> finding out his past. Still passionate for justice. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. I immediately started growing the beard because the first thing I wanted to do was to disguise my identity. I start, I grew my hair out long, not long, but like, you know, kind of shaggy. Uh, I grew my hair out and I grew a beard. That way, at the very least, when I'm in the gas station, I don't look like my fucking mugshot. And, um, and I don't know if, I don't know if this means anything or whatever, but short, uh, a year later is when I started comedy. Um, and it was my mission. And I know you're not supposed to start comedy, for fame or fortune, but one of my goals when I started comedy, one of my goals, this might be dumb, but one of my goals when I started comedy, uh, when I, you know, a few weeks into it, it only took a few weeks into comedy to realize, oh shit, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. This is no longer a hobby. I'm not nearly good enough yet to make a living at it, but one day I'm going to stick with this and I'm going to make a living at it. But um, one of my goals was I want to, I want to get on TV again for something other than my mugshot clean the slate you know yeah i i want to i got to do a late night spot i got to get some tv credits i i got to get on tv again to kind of erase this horrible shame and i did that (laughs) i can dave If you and got I, if you got a late night spot to do comedy and your whole thing was like I'm not a dirty cop, <laughs> like what's he talking about? <laughs> yeah, what? And that's that's the um, that's the paradox because I know in my heart that I wasn't a dirty cop. I know that I was in fact a good cop. I was fair. I. I did the job, like, I'm not bragging, but I was good at it. Like, it just takes common sense and a little bit of courage and a little bit of fucking empathy and, and smarts, and I was good at it. I didn't like the job, but I was good at it. I Nobody. Think you, I think you're a good person, which made you a complicated cop. <laughs> Maybe yeah, that's and, what it but is. that's the shame. Like, I knew in my heart that I wasn't a dirty cop, but I don't have, and to this day, I don't have a leg to stand on because I fucked up. I took money from a citizen that I shouldn't have. So, you know, and that's why it's always been such a fucking secret. Not only, not only if, if, if I would have been honorably discharged, if I would have retired with accreditations, I still wouldn't be in this day and age bragging about my cop past because cops have such a horrible stigma. But on top of that, the way it ended fucking the disgrace and the humiliation of being a dirty cop yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep this secret for a fucking while. That yeah. was my that was my mentality up until last week. So there we go, man. It's out, That's man. Now it's story. out. How do you feel? If I mean, I'm, I don't feel good, but it, it there's a there is an element of relief of like, and that's the thing too. And this might be stupid, but like I. I'm not famous, and I'm probably never going to be famous, and I don't give a fuck. That's not why I started doing comedy. But in the back of my mind, it was always like, oh, shit, what happens if I do get kind of famous, and then this comes out? You know, that's something I've been dealing with for 15 years. It's not like you lied about being in 9-11 or anything. (laughs) True. 
Um, you just added layers to that cake, baby. Yeah, and uh, and you know we don't have time to get into today, and I. But you know, I'll tell some stories. I have mostly horrible stories of things I've seen, but there's a few good things I did here and there. But it changes you, man. Even like I said, even if it hadn't ended poorly. Uh, being a cop changes someone. And again, the, don't confuse that as me being a cop apologist because myself and every other cop, no one made you do it. And if you're going to do it, do it, do it right and do it honestly. And uh, no one made me take that 50 bucks. But uh, mm. man, it, it definitely it keeps you humble and it keeps you grounded when uh, you know you've shamed your family. You know, I shamed my family, I shamed my fiance. Um, everybody I ever knew, you know, just, I mean, short of being a rapist or a pedophile, you know, what has a worse stigma than dirty cop? I mean, but that's what Pete, like dirty in what way? That's the whole, that's where you got fucked. It's like not dirty and like, I'm ripping the people off. I'm doing like, Mm -hmm. yeah, but I did a dirty cop thing. I took money that I shouldn't have taken. Like, and that's the thing I, I, and I, and I feel like I don't even deserve uh, a platform to defend myself. Like, you know, how, how do you, how do you defend that? How do you, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. Dave, no one wants to hear about my, the good things. If you it's can't just, oh. use our ghoul and goblin fake computer radio show to defend your actions. I don't, I, I don't know what to do for you. This is the place for it, Dave. You're safe here. <laughs> The fans, know, the fans I, love you. They're appreciative of your honesty, and I, I truly don't think you need to be. I, I, I think I can maybe understand the shame of like I did a thing that's you know <clears throat> stigmatized by everybody else. But now here's the story of it. Now you at least got to say the whole story. You yeah, and that say is your story. I'm not, I'm not embellishing, or you know that's exactly what happened. It was a one time thing. Um, and I, you know, even with that, I've, I mean, that, that was definitely impactful. It definitely, it was definitely something tough to come to terms with. But even with that, I sleep fine at night because beyond that one second of terrible judgment, I know that I, I, I was a good cop and I, and I know that I was and am a good person. And, uh, it definitely, uh, keeps you grounded in that, it gives you empathy for everybody else of like, well, let's not judge too harshly because remember that fucking bonehead mistake you made, dumbass? You know, not defending police brutality or anything like that. I'm just saying across the board in all walks of life, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a constant reminder to not be too judgmental because I'm not saying anybody could have done what I did. I'm just saying... <sighs> You don't know what's around the corner. You don't know what temptations or what pitfalls lie around that next corner. And uh, I hope uh, that that's the last one I made. Yeah, whatever. You got any recipes this week? <laughs> I've, I've. <laughs> oh, man. He hung up. Oh, I just hung up on you. <laughs> earbuds falling out. All right, sorry about that. Had the earbud problem. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was like, oh man, I was like, I was trying to make a funny turn. I hope he's not pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of here. Click, <laughs> motherfucker. I'm bearing my soul. <laughs> well, I, but I, yeah, that's the story. 
But I, like we were talking about last time, you know, where I get angry at the, and what a very privileged thing about being angry, but like, don't give me a better ticket because you're doing me a favor. Give me the ticket you're supposed to give me. Mm-hmm. Or just don't give me a ticket at all. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, you showing that judgment means like, well, <laughs> you know, it's knowing that there's things that are right and there's things that are illegal and those things don't always overlap. Yeah. Or things that are wrong and things that are illegal. You know, you know what I'm trying to say here. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when you're a police officer, you're expected to operate by what's right, not always what your judgment is. Yeah. Even though we want to see them use judgment that benefits people, mm-hmm. not judgment that benefits themselves. Yeah. You are using ju- judgment that benefit that guy. Mm-hmm. You got 50 bucks in your pocket, but then that guy didn't have to pay $100 and deal with shit, whether he knew what he was doing or didn't know. It's, you know, you were, you were just using your judgment of like, I'm having a shit day at work, and here's this. And there was really, was, no, there was no the victim. Still there the was no judgment, yeah. But there was no yeah. victim. Well, and, and I've thought a lot about that, too. That in other, theory, than the pri- other than the pride of the police department. In theory, it was a victimless crime, but I feel like the victim is my community. Now, you know, we're out, we've got cops out here that are bending the rules. And I mean, yes, in if you want to break it down, there was no victim, you know. And I, and I sure as fuck don't feel guilty that the Cobb County Police Department missed out on those hundred bucks that that ticket would have generated. Fuck them. Fuck like I and this isn't like sour grapes like fuck them because I got in trouble. No, fuck them for all the bullshit that I saw and put up with prior to that night. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole I talked about that last week, the whole stat driven thing. Oh, I used to get all kinds of hey, we have this thing called a daily <clears throat> and your daily is just your uh, a, a form you keep that that tracks everything you did that night you know at, at 10 at 2200 hours i went to this address and handled this call at 2215 i went to this address and handled that call <clears throat> i would sometimes come in with a daily that had three or four lines on it and they'd be like stone what the fuck what are you doing oh yeah. oh smith over here's got he wrote 15 tickets tonight look at your daily you didn't hardly do anything yeah read between the lines dipshit uh, i spent four hours on a fucking suicide call and i spent another three hours uh on a fucking child molestation call i'm sorry i didn't get to write 15 tickets tonight sarge but yeah. it was a lot of that shit, like only looking at your stats. And I'm like, motherfucker, I didn't sign up for this job to write speeding tickets. Uh, first of all, I didn't sign up for this job because it was something I wanted to do anyway. It was a paycheck. But if I'm going to do it, I was more interested in responding to 911 calls and helping people than sitting around fucking pointing a radar gun at cars and yeah. writing tickets. Like, yeah, again, that's a like whole other can of worms. Minuscule like, bullying on teen drugs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we called that cheese dick. We had so many cheese dick charges, like just people that just... We had cops, like I said, I think I mentioned this last week. I would go to dangerous calls with no backup because my beat partner's writing... He's running radar on the interstate, and he's writing tickets. All right, well, yeah, Stone doesn't need any backup. Uh, Lockaruba's over here writing fucking speeding tickets. Good for him. And just shit like that, just that overall mentality of... just where's your stats? What are you doing? What? Like I didn't ask these nine one one. I didn't ask to go to this fucking rape call tonight, Sarge. Yeah. But it got assigned to me, and I'm sorry it took three hours to handle. That's why I wasn't writing any tickets tonight. 
And I was never that cop anyway. I never sat around and just wrote. Like, it's called being proactive. You Cops need to stop cars sometimes. It's called being proactive. You stop a guy for speeding, even if you don't write him a ticket. Yeah, maybe he's got 10 pounds of cocaine or a dead body in the trunk. You know, yes, there, you stop cars that need to be stopped, but you don't have to write everybody a ticket. And where we were, it was such a busy area that if you're not going to a call now, just wait five minutes and it's coming. But yeah, we had all these fucking Rambos out there writing speeding tickets and oh, they're great cops. But look at Stone, he didn't do anything except carry a fucking dead body down an attic staircase with his fucking dead head flapping and hitting me in the face. Uh, (laughs) Oh, he didn't write any tickets tonight. (laughs) Yeah, give that guy a post-mortem parking ticket or something. Because you know, yeah. I guess you do have to tow his car if he's not going to be able to move it from the spot. But yeah, no, I have sour grapes before that incident. Like there was a lot, and that, and again, not justifying what I did, but I did it because I was pissed and I was disgruntled, and it was a fuck you. You know, I didn't. You know, I didn't pull my gun and demand this guy give me fifty bucks. He's waving it in my face anyway. There's a language barrier. Sure. Fuck it. After explaining it to him 10 times, yes, I'll take your $50. Fuck you, police department. Three months later. Oh, well, one thing I was going to say, that investigation, uh, I didn't know this at the time, but the GBI had an open investigation on me for about three months. And uh, <clears throat> this happened to me, and I, in, I, it blew my mind when it happened. And then later, when the shit hit the fan, I found out what this was. <clears throat> All right, so... The the crime I committed happened somewhere around uh, October, all right? So, and I got, it, it hit the fan in January. So it was about three months between the time that I did my thing and the time I got busted for it. Mm-hmm. In that time, unbeknownst to me, the GBI was tailing me almost every night to see if I was doing this again or if I was doing this routinely. And I remember one night specifically, there was this car. It was a busy night, and I'm just going, hopping from call to call to call. Just no time to be proactive. No time to stop cars and initiate traffic stops because just going from one call to another. And I remember this one night, I kept seeing the same car about three or four times. And every time I'd be on my way to a call, there'd be this car, and every time he was like just begging to get pulled over. Like one time he was right in front of me. Pulled, one time, the first time he pulled right out in front of me, made me slam my brakes on. And I like lit him up just to like, like a fuck you. Like I turned my lights on, but I didn't stop him. And then yeah. because I was, I, I didn't, I couldn't stop him. Like I had to go to this call. So that, that was frowned upon. And we had idiots that would do that. You know, oh, there's a robbery in progress, but hold on, this guy's tag light is out. So let me stop him yeah. first. <clears throat> so I'm in route to a call. This car pulls out in front of me, makes me slam on my brakes. I'm like, man, what the? Really? You just pulled out in front of a cop? Okay. Lucky for you, asshole, I got to go handle this call. So I, you know, I, I just flashed my lights at him and kept going. Clear that call, hour or two later, drive into the next call. See the same car. And, and this time he's like speeding or swerving or something. I'm like, that's that same fucking car. What the fuck? Again, damn it. I wish I wasn't going to this call because this guy's begging to get pulled over. Third time in the same night, I see the same car. This time, I'm not en route to a call. He pulls out right in front of me and then throws a Burger King sack out the window right in front of me. And I go, oh, my God, this motherfucker is just begging to get pulled over. So I pull him over. 
I pull him over and I talk to the guy and I go, hey, man, what the hell did you pull your trash or throw your trash out for? And he's a Latino guy and he's speaking Spanish. <clears throat> oh, you know, he's broken English. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just kind of laying into him. I'm like, you know, hey, man, are, are you that unaware? You're driving around here. You don't realize that there's a cop behind you and you're throwing garbage out for me. And I wrote him a ticket for, for littering. And, and I think something else, like I just, I was looking for shit at this point. Like this asshole is just begging to stop. So I wrote him a ticket for littering. I think I wrote him expired tag or something. And the guy starts pulling out cash and I pay here. Can I pay here? Oh, uh, to do and the I'm, same and, thing. And I'm thinking like, I'm thinking, well, boy, this is fucking weird. <laughs> I remember, the, I remember this happened once before about three months earlier. <laughs> yeah. And fortunately for me, I was like, fuck no, you can't pay here. Here's, you know, I gave him his ticket, circled the number. You know, I think I, I, I was pretty, I was a dick to him. I'm like, hey man, you know, just don't be a fucking idiot and do stupid things in front of a cop. Like I was just, I was just couldn't wrap my mind around A, why this guy's doing this shit. And then B, he's trying to, he was trying to bribe me. Yeah. And uh, fortunately for me, I was like, no, sir, that's not how this works. Enjoy your tickets. Drive safe. And later when I got arrested and it was meeting with internal affairs and everything, that guy was an undercover GBI officer who was trying to bait me and he was videoing me and audio recording me and they were trying to, to get me to commit the same crime again, but this time on tape. That blew my mind. It didn't dawn on me in the moment. It didn't dawn on me that like, you know, Something fishy was up. I, I was just like, what an odd coincidence that this fucking idiot who I've seen three times tonight is also trying to pay me, pay me off. Didn't dawn on me that, you know, that was an undercover cop or whatever. But yeah, later found out that that's who that dude was. And I like, well, and I even <laughs> used that. I even, not that I had a leg to stand on, but I was like, and, and what, uh, what, did the, what did the tape show there, detective? Yeah. Did yeah. I take his money? No, I didn't. So further proof that, yes, this was an isolated incident fueled by terrible judgment. Well, shit, man, I don't even know. I have no, I don't even comment. That's, it's, it's, it's that weird thing where I'm like, I'm glad, like, I know you're good and didn't do anything malicious. Also still glad that the GBI was trying to catch yeah. Cops no, being yeah. corrupt, but no, yeah. misguided in their, their effort job. coming after you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Yeah, man. I, yeah, I don't think, uh, I don't think anybody can be coming at you over this stuff. And I don't care. You know, it doesn't bother me. You know, have you, if if your opinion of me has changed, hey, I get it. But it's a, it's, it. it's the example of a guy who just took a job because they needed a job, and you know, yeah. maybe wasn't prepared to do that kind of job. And these, mm-hmm. this is some of the results of it, where it's like we expect a lot from police officers. Maybe they should be trained. You know, my my buddy Kevin's been going going off on you know, like just. The different amount of training it takes for different jobs versus police department, like yeah, yeah, like maybe like you know, just all these things, like trying to prevent yahoos from getting into it. Like I mean, it's it, so it just it looked like an attractive thing for you at the time. I got a fiance, yeah. I need some work. 
Mm-hmm. And then like, exactly oh, look at this. And maybe that's why. It's a shit job, so they got to make it look good. Mm-hmm. So the reason the yeah, military it, isn't like, do you want to feel cool with a gun? They're like, no, we'll pay for college, please. They, you know, they yeah. have, it's not a great job. They have to make no. it look attractive. Yeah. Uh, and just, I mean, it really, um, even before this incident, like it, it fucked me up. Like it, it changed my uh, personality uh, because every night I was seeing the worst shit. I mean, I've just, I don't even have time to go into some of the shit I've seen, but I, I've just, <laughs> you just see so much horrible shit and it just, um, it, it affected me. Like, uh, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm sure you could ask my ex fiance, like, you know, I, I never mistreated her. You know, I've never, you know, committed any domestic violence or anything like that but it definitely affected my mood i'm sure i was a shitty boyfriend when your job sucks yeah yeah i mean when your way to survive makes you miserable like what a catch 22 you need this to live i don't really like living yeah yeah it's uh goes back to these van youtubers we'll we'll get into some random stories later but just I mean, some of the shit I've seen, and again, not saying this for any sympathy, and it doesn't justify what I did. Man, but, uh, talk, man talking it, about it your experience in life. Yeah, I, I'll tell one story real quick. I mean, I was uh, I was on scene when my partner shot and killed a guy. I was drawn down. I had my gun pointed at the same guy, and uh, this guy was. We were serving a warrant. We were assisting the sheriff's department. This guy was going to jail for like forty years. And uh, we got into his apartment. He's in his bedroom. He's wearing sweatpants. Told us he had a gun. Mm-hmm. I got a gun. Fuck you. I ain't going back. Fuck you. I ain't going back. I got a gun. We're screaming at him. Show us your hands. Show us your hands. Show us your hands. Show us your hands. Boom. Partner put a fucking slug, shotgun slug through this fucking chest. Just watched a man die. Like, it's, it's fucking crazy. Did he have a gun? Yeah. Yeah, he had a gun in his pants. He didn't pull it, but he 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 made a he twitched, and uh, ultimately well, my my partner my partner was that was cl- a cleared case. It was justified because he did have a gun and he did make threats. But this um, is the kind of stuff where we could see where it gets skewed. Of like, the officer cleared of shooting unarmed black man, mm-hmm. even if the case was the guy t- said he had a gun, refused to comply. Mm-hmm. And everything went towards you guys doing the right thing and defending yourself when the guy said he had a gun, but then how it will be portrayed. Of course. So there's, there is nuance to some of the stuff that's going on right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll say this real quick, and I don't say this happily, but many a times unarmed people get shot by the police and it is justified. And what I mean is, let's say that guy didn't have a gun, even though he did. He didn't show it. He told us he had a gun. We were begging him to take his hands out of his pockets. And we were trained this way. And I don't know if this is ultimately good training or bad training, but in, in the way the law was written, if by the time, if, we're be- if the guy says he's got a gun in his pants and he says he's not going back to jail, and we're begging him to pull his hands out, show us his hands. When he makes a move, a jerky move, and he gets shot and killed, and we find out that he didn't have a gun, that's still a justified shooting. Because the way we were trained, by the time we see the gun come out of his pants, it's too late for us. 
Like they've done studies and, and, and drills and experiments of like, it's like playing defense in football. Why defense is harder than offense. The offense knows where the yeah. play's going and the defense is reacting. Many, there's many cases. And, and yes, the headline sounds fucked up. Police shoot and kill unarmed man. And again, I'm not justifying anything. I'm just saying there are examples of an unarmed man getting shot and killed by the police, and it's justified because of all the small nuance and the intangibles of he wouldn't show us his hands. He told it, he made threats. He said he's not going back to jail, and he, he made a move for his, for his pocket. By the time we wait and see that gun come out of the, his pants, it could be too late for us. And but we the, gave him multiple opportunities to, but, to comply. So without the, if you exclude the current climate we're in, if the story about Atlanta just happened, like, oh, a drunk guy fought with cops, got their taser and pointed it at him, and then they shot him and killed him, would that be a news story? Yeah, yeah, that'd be a news story even without this climate, yeah. And I honestly don't, I don't, like we said earlier, I don't know. That's not an unarmed man anymore. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know how that case is going to end up, and I don't know what's the right thing. Like like I said, me personally, especially in this climate, if I'm fighting with a guy who did nothing but was drunk in a parked car, and he grabbed my taser and ran off, guess what? Have fun with that taser, buddy. I'm not following you. I got your ID. I got your car. We'll issue a warrant. I'm not going to... Yes, and I know that he turned and aimed it at him, but... And yes... That guy's, the cop's attorney can articulate that had he made contact with that taser, he could have incapacitated that cop and then went and took his real gun and shot and killed him. But you got two on one and he's running away. It's, it's, that's, again, not saying one way or the other, but that's why it's so fucking difficult. Like I said earlier, and again, I'm not being an apologist. I'm just well, saying man, this talking, is what I experienced. Talking. I know, but it's, I don't want to even remotely sound like I'm defending poor judgment on a cop's case but i'm saying these cops have a split second to make a decision that we all have weeks and months and years to hence the idea of maybe more training and de-escalation and all Mm -hmm. the other things that would not uh man i got no I'm, not, I'm talking out of school on stuff. I, you know, I think, you're, Dave, ultimately you're doing a good thing. You're providing perspective on people that are, right, for people that are frustrated, on, uh, on on both sides of the fence, frustrated. And you're like, well, guess what? I, I've lived on both sides of the fence. Here's my mm-hmm. take on it. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Like, I, you're doing a good thing. I'll ask again, are there any recipes this week? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I trying some grits I'm, this week. I bought some why do you keep, mail order grits. Goddamn, every time I make that joke, you oh, hang up on grits me. through the mail. Can't find grits out here in California. <laughs> Is it that bad of a joke? I made some awesome grits. I'm calling them back. Lost them again. Oh, I lost you again, buddy. Sorry. Is it that bad of a joke? <laughs> I don't know. Every time I touch my ear pods to uh, adjust them, I guess there's a certain little area you can touch it that hangs up the call. Just refusing to lighten the mood. I was telling you about grits. I bought some grits and I made some grits. And, uh, it's my buddy Craig's recipe, so I don't want to give, I don't want to take credit for the recipe, but I'll just say soak your grits overnight and use a little half and half. And uh, use the grit water that you soaked them in. Mm, you want to use water. a uh, 
four to one ratio <laughs> of liquid to grits. So uh, use some of that grit water and use a little uh, half and half or heavy cream. Boil those bastards up. And oh boy, nothing like good homemade grits. Now, I know people outside of the South may not have an appreciation for it, but oh, I love some grits. I don't know. I feel, I feel, I feel I, I, I'm, I'm happy for you that you're talking about this. Your big secret's out, buddy. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Do, do with that what you will, people. Um, I will say this. <laughs> Got a, a lot of positive feedback from last week's episode. A lot yeah. of people reaching out and, uh, you know, saying they appreciate me sharing that story. I don't know... <laughs> If I'll get any positive feedback this week, now that there's a twist in the story. Um, I think you will. Regardless. I think people are still just being, uh, people are excited, to, like not excited, but glad you're be coming forward with it. Well, thanks, buddy. And again, not to sound defensive or anything, but I, I sleep fine at night. You know, this was 15 years ago. I'm not happy that it happened. I'm definitely not proud of it, but uh, I've come to terms with it. And I know that that one second of bad judgment is not going to identify who I am as a person. And uh, I sleep fine at night. I treat people around me uh, as good as I can. And I feel like I treat people fairly. And, uh, you know, if you want to you judge me on that, you know, I get it. Because you know, when you do something like that, you don't have much of a leg to stand on. But uh, I have come to terms with it. And uh, I, I'll say this. Um, that old adage of everything happens for a reason or whatever. I didn't have the balls to just quit that job, meaning I needed the paycheck so bad. And, it, you know, there was benefits and decent pay. And like I said, almost immediately I knew that this was the wrong gig. So I, I didn't have the balls to just quit it cold turkey and do something else. I was trying to transfer over to the uh, fire department. But my point is, had that not happened to me, uh, I very well may have never been a comedian. You know, I, I, I can't see just quitting and starting a comedy career. But uh, because I, I did want to be a comedian for many years before I actually started. And I'll just say that in a weird way, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. It got me, it may have saved my life from being a cop, whether it be on the job shit or just heart attack or drinking myself to death to try to numb the bullshit that I saw every night. Um, but in a weird way, it's the best thing that ever happened to me because uh, a year later, I started comedy. I just love this as the alternate ending to uh, uh, <laughs> what's his name's character from Lethal Weapon. <laughs> like rogue, maniacal cop that just wants to do the right thing but with not follow the rules, but he lives in a trailer by the river. But instead of taking down an international drug rig, he just transitions into like improv. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. It's a happy ending. That is funny. (laughs) Well, get, get you some grits. You got a new grill. Yeah, man. Gonna fire up some shit here tomorrow, probably. Alrighty, Enjoy man. Portland, my friend. I will, man. We're settling in. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what kind of life. And I, I feel bad. I know we keep uh, teased this video idea that we just—that's my fault. Bl- hey, blame Kyle. Can't get this goddamn video shit off the ground. Mm-hmm. But I'm playing free time, sitting on my ass up here. Maybe we'll get it going. <laughs> All right, buddy. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah, man. You betcha. Be good. Take care of yourself. All right. 
You too, buddy. All right. The Boogie Monster.